evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live for this January 13th. It is Wednesday in the first week of ordinary time, if you follow the modern calendar, or if you are following the traditional calendar, the 13th is eight days after Epiphany, which was January 6th, and today is celebrated as the commemoration of the baptism of the Lord, which in the ordinary calendar we celebrated last Sunday. So anyway, you slice it, today uh, really wraps up the whole Christmas season. And I thought tonight that, you know, the uh, the season of Christmas always goes so quickly. Uh, Advent is way shorter than Lent, and boy, Christmas is way shorter than Easter. So we really have here, you know, Easter being the, the biggest celebration and mystery of our faith. But then we get into... Uh, Christmas, kind of the second big one, and the season is so much shorter. So I thought uh, tonight, rather than hurry on to ordinary time, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about what that is. I thought we'd kind of put a bow on the whole Christmas tide season, as it were, uh, and finish up today uh, talking about uh, the Magi who arrive on Epiphany, as we talked about last time, and look a little bit at the baptism of the Lord. If you're here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City. You didn't get a homily from your priest this weekend. You got one from the Archbishop as we uh, kicked off the Archbishop's annual campaign call to share. Uh, So I thought we could do with probably a little bit of preaching on the baptism here, or at least a little discussion on the baptism. So I kind of slipped up there and said preaching, but I don't want this to be just preaching. It's not really. It's a discussion. So uh, that's part of why I do it live. Uh, Like I see, Mark Gilstrap is on. Mark is always on. It's great. So I can see Mark, and I uh, I used to be able to see who's on, even if you don't say anything. Just so you know, now I, I can't see like who's watching just uh, by who's logged in watching. If you don't say anything, I don't know you're here. So I don't know. That may be good or bad. You might not want me to know you're here. Um, but if you would like me to know that you're on, uh, go ahead and, and leave a little message there in the comments like Mark did. Uh, but especially, uh, I'd, I'd like to hear your questions. So I've got some ideas tonight. I would like to look a little bit at the Magi and the baptism of the Lord. But uh, we're also going to look a little bit at the, the calendar. Uh, you know, sometimes I talk about the the current calendar or the modern calendar, and then I'll mention the traditional calendar or the extraordinary form calendar. Uh, and so these are are both uh, calendars that are in use in, in just the, uh, the Western Latin rite of the church right now. For those that aren't familiar, we've got the ordinary form and the extraordinary form, and they each have their own calendar, and throw in there the Eastern churches and their calendars, and the Orthodox churches and their calendars, and boy, you think Christians are divided. We can't even agree on uh, dates of things. We can't even agree on the date of Easter. So we'll talk a little bit maybe about the calendars, since uh, we have begun new calendars, both uh, civilly and to some extent liturgically. Um, But if you've got questions tonight, uh, I'd be happy to hear him. And I see that, that Joyce Grasco is on. And, oh, Trudy Laban's Graves is on. Yay. Sashi Jan. Oh, my gosh. I went to high school with Sashi. My goodness, I haven't heard or talked with him in so long. And my Uncle Dave is on. Uh, Sashi and his uh, sister Kavita and I went to uh, school together in Lansing, home of the Lions. Um both incredibly smart kids, those Jane kids, and, and their parents, too. So uh, good to have Sashi on uh, tonight as well, um, which is, is nice because we're talking about uh, the East. Sashi and his family are, are from India. We're not going to quite get as far east as India tonight, but we are going to talk a little bit about Persia, modern-day Iran, because that's where these Magi people came from uh, that we read about in St. Matthew's Gospel, who arrive in Bethlehem. Uh, to encounter Jesus, the Christ child. They find Jesus in the manger and and Mary and Joseph, his mother. So we're going to talk a little bit about these mysterious Magi people who we we don't exactly know who they are, but we know a little bit about them uh, from Matthew and then from what we can glean from the the rest of history. So um, if you've got your questions, feel free to, to leave those in. Um, for those of just joining, we're, we're celebrating today the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord in the older traditional calendar, and uh, we've just left the Christmas season. If you're in the modern calendar, um, we're, we're all going to catch up here during the, the next week because everyone kind of regroups and we, we move on past Christmas now. So, you know, this, uh, this past week, I, I got a chance to kind of finish up Christmas a little bit uh, myself. I, I enjoy taking pictures, so uh, 
uh, I got a, a love of photography from from my dad growing up. Um, I was a professional lens carrier as I, I grew up. My dad would take the pictures, and my sister and my mom and I would each like carry a lens. Uh, and so when he would yell for his telephoto lens or his wide angle lens, um, the family would be along as his uh, little roadies to take care of that. So somehow I suppose that gave me a love of photography. So so now I I carry my own lenses. Uh, but um, I got a chance this week to, to do a little photo looking. Uh, and so I, I posted on my, my Flickr page, that's an online photo sharing. If you go to seanthebaptist.org and uh, you can click on the little links on top for all my social media stuff and Flickr is one of those. And so you can uh, check out my, my Flickr page, which is where I share photos. But um, I got some pictures of Christmas lights at Union Station. And then for those in Kansas City, the Country Club Plaza is famous for the Christmas lights display. Um, and so I got some pictures of that on the last night before they took them down and uh, enjoyed uh, doing some photo work. So that's a little bit of, of what I've been doing, um, enjoying some photography and uh, something I like to do. And uh, yeah, so what are your hobbies? What are you doing right now to kind of get through COVID? Uh, pictures is something that I can do on my own and then post to kind of stay connected and, and share with people. So there's a, there's something I'm doing. What are you doing to, to kind of get through the the winter doldrums and the, the COVID blues? And we'll say that I, I had some kind of a flu for like two weeks almost, and it was ridiculous. And I got tested and it wasn't COVID. I mean, at least if you're going to, have something that knocks you out for a couple of weeks. I was kind of actually hoping at the end I'd get tested and like, hey, you had COVID and now you're over it and now you're immune. But no, uh, and I, I no word exactly when a priest might be in line to get the inoculation. So I don't know. We'll kind of hang out and and wait uh, for that. So that's that's a little bit about uh, Sean the Baptist life uh, right now. Uh, you can see I still got my little manger scene up back here. <laughs> Um, Christmas season kind of is ending today, no matter how you slice it. But there is a tradition, at least, um, at the Vatican, manger scene stays up until February 2nd. Uh, although, if if you've seen this year's manger scene at the Vatican, I wish they would have taken it down before they put it up. But um, nonetheless, manger scenes sometimes stay up until February 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation. So I'm going to do that. Um, that little manger scene back there that you see, my my grandpa actually made for me. And um, see if I can zoom in a little bit here. No, that's not gonna do it. I don't, oh, can I, if I move myself around, let me try this. Maybe I can make myself bigger and blow it up. Yeah, I can kind of do that. There it is a little bit. So anyway, um, maybe you can see that back there now. That is a little stable that my, my grandfather made for me from, I think uh, I've determined that they are hickory sticks um, from the, the woods at my, my great-grandmother's farm and uh, the, the, the hay from her, her fields there. So not only is it handmade by my, my grandfather, but it has a, a, some sentimental value connection with my, my great-grandmother and uh, her farm as as well so um yeah that's kind of a, a nice little family heirloom that i i have and um maybe you can share some of your family traditions there as well but uh, i'm grateful uh for that and i uh, didn't get to go uh visit grandpa this this christmas and because uh, of course he's in the the nursing home and so we we pray for all those who are, are separated from from loved ones uh, right now, considering still the uh, the COVID troubles, so that's a little bit what's going on in Sean the Baptist life. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to talk a little bit then about these magi. It's not a word that we we use all the time, and in fact, uh, as far as I can tell, the the only time we use magi <laughs> is to talk about it at Christmas. So. Um, comes from a Greek word, magos, uh, from which we get a, a modern word, uh, it, magician, uh, comes from uh, the, the same thing. So uh, magician, we tend to think of, of someone who uh, 
you know, plays tricks on, on people or, or something like that. The the magi that are spoken of in, in the scriptures would have been probably royal court officials of the, the king of Persia, uh, would have been associated at that time with uh, astrology. So we, we talked a little bit last time about the Star of Bethlehem and how it was probably not an astronomical sort of thing where you would look up and see some bright light in the sky or something like that. Rather, it would be astrological, looking at the positions of planets, the sun and the moon and things like that. Um, so the Magi would have been associated with um, a group of astrologers that probably would have probably learned their astrology in Babylon, where we know that the Jews spent some time in exile, uh, which we've also talked about. But they would have been, of course, looking at the stars and were able to interpret them that there was perhaps the, the, the greatest sign of the birth of a king that they'd ever seen uh, in the sky and that this king was to be born in the land of Herod the Great uh, the, amongst the Jews over by the Mediterranean Sea to the west. And so that's where the Magi go. They go to the capital where they expect to find in the capital city the, the newborn king of the Jews. And of course they don't. And Herod is surprised uh, to even find them there. There was a little bit of a, a tension between the uh, the Parthians in Persia and the uh, the Jews, shall we call them, in in Jerusalem. Uh, so things were pretty peaceful at the time that the Magi visit Herod, but there had been some wars and things fought. So Herod is also suspicious. Why are these? Why are these Parthians, these Magi, in my kingdom? So already that would have been interesting. Um, but of course, they, they show up and they've, they've followed the guidance that they've learned or ascertained from the, uh, from the stars, from astrology. And they arrive and they uh, are able to find out from Herod and the other people exactly where the Christ child is to be born. They go to Bethlehem and they find him. Now, that's, that's kind of what we covered last time a little bit. I'd like to, to look tonight, I titled this episode The, the Gifts of the Magi. Uh, for those not familiar, there's a, a famous early 20th century short story by an author called O. Henry, uh, which he, he titled the, the Gift of the Magi. And it's, it's interesting because it, it is a, a Christmas short story, um, but there's really nothing about the the Magi in there. Now, the Magi are famous for their three gifts that they bring. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And probably all of us know that story of the we three kings of Orient are. Well, we, d we don't know that they're kings. In fact, Magi probably weren't kings, but they're royal officials, let's say. Uh, and of course, they, they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it, it doesn't actually say in the gospel how many Magi there were. They're there could have been one who brought all three, although that doesn't now because they're plural magi. So there's at least two. There are two magi. They could have one of them brought two gifts and one. I don't know. So there, there's probably at least three, but there could have been more. We don't know. But they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, and I want to look at those those gifts, and that's that's where a little bit of the uh, the short story of from O. Henry comes in here, uh, because the it, it's a great little story, and it is short, as short <laughs> stories tend to be. Um, but the the premise is, and it comes up a lot in in other movies and themes because it's a, it's a catchy little kind of story in which uh, husband and wife uh, are looking to get each other Christmas gifts. And um, the wife is, is very depressed because she loves her husband very much and she only has a, like a dollar 87 cents or something. Uh, and that's not enough to get a good Christmas present for her husband. Um, but she really, really loves him and wants to get him something. And she looks in the mirror and one of her most prized things that she has is actually her hair. Her hair is like down to her, her knees and is beautiful and is just her pride and joy. But she realizes her husband is more her pride and joy and wants to get him a gift. So... She goes quickly, and it's Christmas Eve, and she goes quickly and sells her hair on Christmas Eve and gets $20 and spends $21 buying her husband a special chain for his watch. Kind of like my, my grandpa made me that, that manger scene. Her husband has a watch 
that has been handed down from his grandfather to his father and now to him. And the watch is just his pride, uh, but they're poor. So he just, he has the watch on a little leather strap, uh, whereas the the watch itself is gold and very special and important. Um, So she decides she will spend $21 and uh, buy a special metal chain uh, for the watch so that he can have something worthy. Well, uh, he he gets home from work and she's very nervous because she's afraid uh, surely her husband will still love her even though her beautiful long hair is gone. And when he walks in, the husband is actually kind of shocked. Uh, and she thinks it's because, oh my gosh, he, he thinks I'm ugly now. I've lost my hair. Um, but it it turns out that the husband for Christmas had got his wife beautiful special combs for her hair to stick in there and and ornament her hair which she had been looking at in the window of the store over and over and he finally decided to to get it for her um because it's what she really really wanted and she never thought she could ever have because they didn't have the money so he he got her these combs for her hair and so that's why he was all freaked out that um great uh, no, I love you very much, and I, I don't think anything less of you because you cut your hair. It's just that now your Christmas present doesn't really work. Um, and she's like, well, don't worry. My, my hair will grow back. Everything will be fine. Eventually, I'll be able to use them. And uh, she's like, oh, but I, I almost forgot your gift. And she, she gets out the, the chain that she had bought for his, his watch. And once again, he, he just falls back on the couch. And, and even, this time, it says he almost kind of laughs. And she's like what? Get out your watch. I want to see it. And of course he says, well, I, I sold my watch to get the money to buy the combs for your hair. Um, now, the interesting thing is then that O. Henry ends this by saying that the Magi, so these people who gave the first Christmas gifts, if you will, were incredibly wise. In fact, sometimes we'll call them the, the three wise men. Um, and notice that the, the gifts that the Magi bring... They're, they're somewhat worthless to this little baby Jesus. What What is baby Jesus, or really his parents for that matter, going to do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? They're not useful as practical gifts. Maybe the gold, you could say, well, you can sell it and buy something. But even that, it, the point that I think O. Henry is trying to make with the connection with the short story is the, the actual physical, tangible gifts that get given, and in this case, the, the hair combs and the watch chain, the physical gifts end up being worthless uh, to the, the people. The, the wife, at least right now, can't use the hair combs, and the, the husband can't use the watch chain because he sold the watch. But O'Henry says that these two, like the Magi, were incredibly wise in their gift. In fact, they are the wisest of all who give and receive gifts. Now, why? Here, here is what I, I think he's trying to say. I think the, the point here is that despite the fact that the material gifts that the husband and wife gave each other proved to be not of value at this moment, the real gift that they, they gave to each other was, was of course, their incredible love and willingness to sacrifice each of them the husband and the wife gave a gift that was their most precious thing they had and they were willing to give it up so that the other could have a precious gift for christmas what a a beautiful little story then that it's actually a happy ending it it sounds like it's it's sad but the the short story the gift of the magi at least in o henry's thinking and to my thinking actually ends very happily they the two have dinner and they laugh and they love each other and to some extent sacrifice is the real proof of love you know we often associate today love with a, a feeling you know i feel special feelings towards this person i'm romantically attracted to someone so that's love um we're especially into the romantic attraction um but even amongst family sometimes you know i love this person until like oh but not those people (laughs) those family members are not my favorite or those are the people we don't talk to um you know that's a, a different kind of 
superficial sort of love. Uh, a love that says, what can I get? A love that says, I like this person because how they make me feel. Real, genuine love means sacrifice. It means that you are willing to do what is good for the other, even if it is difficult for you or causes you to suffer. Lord knows there's a lot of suffering in this world and the greatest real gift that we can give another person then is is be willing to to do what's good and suffer for somebody to bring about a greater good for that person. If you are willing to sacrifice your own happy feelings and especially momentary happy feelings for a greater good, to do something that is good for someone else, even if it brings momentary suffering to you, that's actual love. That's actual giving of yourself. You know, John Paul II famously said that the, the opposite of, of love is not hate. That the opposite of love is use. To use another person as, as merely a, a means towards some other end. Okay, the, the two husband and wife in the, the short story, The Gift of the Magi, beautifully show the opposite of this. Each is willing to part with what makes them happy, their most prized possession, in order to make the other happy. And that's why this is a happy ending. Neither one of them have their most prized possession. So the hair is gone. The watch is gone. They've both given up their most prized possession to get what? Two other worldly possessions that now they can't even use. I can't use a hair comb and I can't use a chain for my watch. It, it looks like they just have, everything's fallen apart. But no, no. They have given the greatest gift that they could give to each other because each of the husband and wife now know this person loves me so much that they would put their their own good uh, secondary to to me. That, that they would put me first. Um, what, a, what a great... Uh, kind of example. Okay, I'm going to just take a quick break for a second here just to adjust something. My little uh, my little studio is um, not everything a, a studio should be uh, exactly because, well, Sean the Baptist Studios is, well, it's brought to you by me uh, in my own lack of abilities. Uh, so Sean the Baptist Studios completely funded by Sean the Baptist and so sometimes it doesn't all work out, but there I'm back. Okay, uh, trying to add a, a little bit of light. My, my monitor in front of me is a computer monitor, so it's super blue. So I tried to get some, some yellow uh, on there. Uh, some would say everything has fallen together. Hmm, let me think what Sashi is saying there. Everything has fallen together. Um, well, my, my light just fell. I can tell you, I can tell you that. Um, but, uh, I suppose everything fell together <laughs> for the, uh, the couple, uh, in the, in the story as well, uh, too. Um, so maybe ask yourself then, uh, who or, or what do, do you say that you love? Because uh, we have the unfortunate problem in English that we often say we love things that are not even whose, but, but what's. You know, we use the word love to say both I, I love my spouse, I love my family, and oh, I love pizza. Or today, I, I love my pet. Um, you know, instead of I love my children, like, well, I have my, I have my dogs. I'm a dog mom. Um, kind of, but not really. Um, so yeah, we use the word love all over the place, and sometimes it gets confusing. But if you really want to say, who do you love? Well, you got to ask yourself, who are you willing to sacrifice for? Um, and that's where we get back to the, the, the Magi in, in the Gospel story. They bring gifts that, from the worldly standpoint, aren't of much use at that moment to the Christ child. Um, just as a hair combs and chain for a watch and hair that is now gone are not much use, but they're symbolic gifts. Just as the, the gift of the hair combs, they're symbolic of the love that that husband had for his wife. And the gift of the, the chain, it's a symbolic gift of how much she loves her husband. 
Well, the gifts that the Magi then bring to Jesus are symbolic of, of what they think about Jesus. Now, I, I run the risk sometimes of um, maybe I, I share something and I'm like, well, of course, everybody already knows this. And so maybe I don't say it. Uh, and sometimes you, you lose sight of as, as, as a priest that maybe there are things that you as a priest have heard over and over and over. So it's like boring, uh, but maybe other people haven't. So I want to just talk briefly about each of the, the three gifts of the Magi, the, the biblical Magi, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you've, you've already heard this, then you're, you're an expert. And so you can just fast forward if you're watching their video. Um, but gold, okay, it, not much use to a little baby. I mean, his parents might could have used it. Uh, but Jesus could not use gold at that moment. Rather, it's a symbolic gift. Uh, and what does it symbolize? Well, gold is for a king. Okay, Herod had gold, and he was afraid of losing it. That's why he's mad at the, the Magi, because they... They don't tell him where Jesus is at. He's super mad that there's a, an apparent new king, a rival. He wants power. He wants influence. Gold symbolizes all that. Gold symbolizes kingship. Because who had gold in the Old Testament? Kings. Kings have gold. So by bringing a gift of gold to little baby Jesus, the, the Magi are showing that they know uh, that this is a king. So they bring a symbolic gift fit for a king. Now, frankincense. Uh, those who are Catholic uh, especially are familiar with incense uh, that we use at Mass. Frankincense is a, a type of, of incense. Um, but we use incense at, at Mass all the time as a, a symbol, uh, a, a ritual, sacred gesture, to symbolize the worship of God, adoration. Uh, as the, the smoke, as it goes up, it's kind of symbolic of our, our prayers going up. Sometimes we think of God as being up. And we, we know not God is not really up, but um, it's symbolic. These are symbolic gifts. So notice that when we expose the Eucharist and the Blessed Sacrament, we use the, the incense to uh, honor God with incense. And, and even in Eastern religions and things, they'll use incense in prayer to, to kind of uh, involve all the senses, but also to draw our minds up, like the, the smoke goes up, that sort of thing. Uh, so the Magi bring frankincense. Well, this then is showing that this little baby, symbolically, they recognize is God. Because God alone is worshipped. Um, incense is offered to God. It's, it's to show our worship of God. Um, I have on my, my coat of arms... I don't even know. Maybe I can uh, find it here and throw it up for you. I have on my, my coat of arms, I have um, two little incense uh, pots, if you will. They're called uh, thuribles. Uh, and so I, as, as some of you may know, um, I am interested in liturgy and the, the worship of, of God. So let me throw this up here and see if you can... See this? I don't. I don't know if it will work. Uh, can I find a? Nope. Hold on. It's this is going to work. I know it will. Aha! Uh, let me transform that and fit it to my screen. There we go. So that is that is the coat of arms of Sean the Baptist, um, and you can see there next to the. Uh, how do I make this bigger? There we go. You can see the, the two little incense pots on either side of the tower. Um, I put that on there to be symbolic of, of prayer and the adoration uh, of God. So as you, as you look at that, you can kind of say there's the smoke going up to God. So uh, for me, that, that represents the liturgy and the worship of God, which is a particular interest of mine. So that is why that's on my, my coat of arms. So... Uh, incense then, frankincense, is uh, offered to God. And so symbolically, this gift of the Magi uh, symbolizes uh, that Jesus is God. Um, pretty good insight for some, some Magi. So we got gold, we got frankincense, and then finally we've got myrrh. Um, myrrh is, is uh, the basic use of what it means here is that it's a, an ointment, kind of sweet-smelling sort of thing that would be used to help embalm, as it were, or anoint dead bodies. 
uh, to to make them uh, smell a little bit better and and to honor them. And uh, Lisa Gosser and Moore is on, so hi to Lisa. Um, so myrrh, as a, a gift to Jesus, the Christ child, then is symbolic of his death. I mean, that's a strange Christmas present. I mean, gold and frankincense, all right, king, God, that's pretty cool. Uh, but myrrh? Uh, but wait, there's myrrh. Um, yeah, it's a strange Christmas present, but, but it shows that this king, God, this God king, is destined to be a sacrifice. We were just talking about uh, love being sacrifice. Jesus's whole point in, in coming is to offer his life as a, a sacrifice. Uh, so the Magi get that right from the beginning and offer the symbolic gift. So somehow these, these gifts are divinely inspired um, by, by God uh, that they know. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, he's a king, he's God, and he's, he's going to die as a, a sacrifice. Uh, so, you know, in, in Luke's gospel, we, we hear of, you know, um, Jesus being presented in the temple and, and how he's going to be a sign that will be contradicted and a sword will pierce Mary's heart. Um, you know, and we hear that she keeps all these things in her heart. Uh, imagine the, in Matthew's gospel, the gift of, of the Magi. Okay, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Interesting gifts. What's with the myrrh? Um, of course, Mary would would know uh, about Jesus's mission, um, difficult as it would be, uh, and so the myrrh is for his his burial. So, in, if you hadn't heard that before, that's that's kind of these symbolic uh, gifts, and again, it points to the identity of of Jesus because a lot of people, when they were looking for the coming of the Messiah, expected him to come as an adult. Uh, a big, powerful military leader. Uh, so how beautiful that this little baby, he's not so easily recognizable. Most people would miss it. In fact, Herod had no idea. Uh, but when the Magi show up at Herod's court, and well, yeah, there's a newborn baby. He's the king. Well, we know that right after this, Herod goes and, and kills all the little children in Bethlehem to, to try to wipe out the, the newborn king because Herod thinks he's a, a rival. Um, so Jesus did not come as at least many people expected as some powerful ruler. He came as a little baby. And nonetheless, the, the Magi show us that they still know, they, they know who this is. Okay. So that's, um, a little bit about the, the gifts of, of the Magi. So tying it together with the story of O. Henry, the gift of the Magi, the, the point is that sometimes... Uh, it's not the physical gifts that are important in themselves. It's what they symbolize. So the, the Magi that show up in Bethlehem, their gifts symbolize who Jesus is. It shows that they know his identity. Uh, and so the, the Magi not only offer gifts, but they fall down and worship. Now imagine this. These are big, powerful people. I mean, if you've got gold, frankincense, and myrrh, those are serious possessions. They've come all the way from Persia, Iran, uh, to get to the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem, they find a little baby and they give him the most precious gifts there are and then they fall down on the ground and worship him. That's some amazing testimony uh, to the identity of Jesus, but also his future mission that all people, uh, the, the Magi are not Jewish. They're, they're not of the same religion that the Messiah is going to come supposedly to save. It shows that Jesus is the Messiah for everybody. And these magi who come uh, symbolically represent all the nations of the world. So all the people that would one day come to believe in Jesus, to know of God through the, the preaching of the church, these magi are the first non-Christian, non-Jewish people to come and worship Jesus. So physical gifts not nearly as important as what they stand for. And that's the point of the short story. Hair combs, watch chain, turned out to be completely useless as physical gifts. But as symbolic gifts, they're symbolic of the love that that couple had for each other. So maybe you can think of, in your own life, what, uh, what symbolic gestures, gifts, 
do you use to show who you love and who you worship, who you adore? Uh, we use the word worship um, kind of casually today. Uh, you know, we, we will sometimes refer to like singing songs, like praise and worship music even. I'll say that, especially as Catholics, um, we have a, a little bit different understanding of, of worship, and it goes back to our, our, our Jewish roots, and that is, uh, and not even just Jewish, but even in Greco-Roman, uh, worship, the one you worship is the one to whom you offer sacrifice. Whenever you hear the word worship, you should think sacrifice, um, because that's how you showed something was worth something, worth-ship. It was worthy of your sacrifice. And in, in the Old Testament, that, that sacrifice was the killing of an animal. Um, you're, you're showing that the, the divinity that you are worshiping is worthy of the life of, of not just this animal, but your life. To offer a, a, an animal a sacrifice was, was actually to say, I'm offering my own life uh, and this animal in place as a symbolic gesture, that sort of thing. So who do you sacrifice to? That's who you worship. This is why the, the early Christians, um, the martyrs, wh why do they often get killed? Uh, because they will not worship the emperor as a god. And, and often they won't worship his statue as, as a god. And, and how did you do that? Well, you would go before the statue of the emperor and you would offer incense. Remember we just talked about the, the gift of frankincense that the second Magi brought? Yeah. Who do we offer incense to? God. So if you as a Christian were to go forward and offer incense before the statue of the emperor, you'd be saying, well, this is God. You're saying this statue is worthy of the God of all the universe. It's just, just a block of, of stone or wood or something. So the Christians would often get in trouble when the uh, the Roman you know military leaders would say, "All right, round everybody up, line up, and everybody now come forward and just pinch a little incense uh, before the the statue of the emperor," and of course the the serious Christians would say, "No, we won't do it," and that's how they'd be found out as as Christians because they weren't going to worship a, a false god, um, and so they'd be rounded up and martyred. Uh, so notice that. Worship should always be associated with offering of a, a sacrifice. Uh, and of course, to, to offer worship to God then is to be willing to sacrifice even our very selves. And that, that's the ultimate meaning of the gift of the Magi. They, they offered symbolic gifts for who Jesus was, but in, in falling down prostrate, they, they offered themselves as, as well. Um, just to put a final bow, I suppose, on the Magi, um, after this, it, it says in Matthew's gospel that they, they return to their own country by another route. They're warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Um, it's interesting that the, a reading I was meditating on today points out that they're overjoyed. They have true joy of having met Jesus, the Christ child. They themselves are courtly officials, so they would be familiar with politics but they refuse to go back into the political fray of Herod. Rather, they decide that they will keep their joy and go back quietly avoiding the political fray. Um, I don't know, especially that kind of just struck me right now. I've, in the past, I've been a very politically kind of involved person in that I, I would follow politics a lot. Um, these past two years, really, I've, I've tried to unplug from the politics of, of things um, because I realized that uh, I would get really worked up in, in my mind uh, and it would get me upset. I would lose my peace and then I, I really wouldn't take any action. I, I would post things on Facebook. I would have discussions. But in the end, it, my, my life didn't change. I, I still had to do the same things every day and the things that were going on in Washington or around the world... I, I couldn't really change. I couldn't do much about and I was getting all worked up over it. So I just kind of unplugged. And I thought about that with the, the Magi. They're at home in politics. They're at home in the royal courts. That's their deal. And yet, after having met Jesus, they decide, you know what? We're, we're not going back to the politics of Herod's court. 
I mean, they could have they could have done good there. They they could have maybe even interceded to protect the Christ child, or you know, they could have used their political influence. They just said, you know what? In light of the encounter we've just had with this newborn king, our lives have to be different, and we're not going back to the politics of the court. And who knows what they they did back in their own country? Maybe they they left even the politics of the the court of of Persia and. Who knows how the Magi's life was different, and maybe that's kind of nice that the uh, the end of the story isn't all there for us. Uh, what were the Magi like later? I will say that um, when I went to World Youth Day in Cologne, Germany in 2005 with uh, Pope Benedict, uh, in, in the cathedral in Cologne, Köln, in Germany, they have what are believed to be the, the bodies, the relics of the three Magi. Um, Traditionally, Casper, Balthazar, and, and Melchior. They even get names at, at one point. Um, so it's interesting because then Cologne becomes one of the great pilgrim sites uh, of Europe. Everyone's familiar with uh, Santiago de Compostela in uh, western uh, Spain. But the other great pilgrimage site, uh, Rome, the Holy Land, but Cologne. Uh, because the the Magi, their relics are there, and the Magi were willing to be the first pilgrims, as it were, to go to see Jesus. Uh, so lots of people come on pilgrimage to Cologne, and um, the relics of the, the three kings, the Magi, however you want to do it, uh, they're there in a beautiful gold reliquary uh, behind the altar uh, in, in Cologne. So the end result of all this, then, is that uh, Herod realizes he's duped, and decides to kill all the little children in Bethlehem to try to wipe out this newborn king. Um, one of the things that is is kind of interesting is that uh, in Matthew's gospel, he, he changes the word that he uses for child. Uh, when Jesus is born, he's an infant. Um, but when the Magi show up, it says that they, they see the, the child. Uh, it, it's paidon in, in Greek, which could mean a, a toddler. So... We talked about it last week a little bit. We don't know how long it took the Magi to get there. They probably didn't show up on Christmas Eve. It could have been a little while later. Or Christmas Eve. Uh, the, the Gospels don't really tell us, but for what it's worth, Matthew does use a different word for uh, the the child when the, the Magi uh, arrive. Okay, anybody got any questions there about the, uh, the, the Magi? I see lots of uh, people checking in, and that's wonderful. Um... If we don't have any questions about the, the Magi in the uh, 10 or 15 minutes or so that we have left, I uh, want to talk a little bit about the baptism of, of Jesus, uh, because uh, today is the 13th of January, and as I mentioned in the uh, traditional calendar, it is the, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Uh, in the modern calendar, we celebrated it this last Sunday, and so in the modern calendar, the Baptism of the Lord marks the uh, official end of the Christmas season. In the traditional calendar, it marks the end of the season of Epiphany. Um, and I think it's a, a fitting kind of feast. People often will be like, man, we, we jumped right from little baby in the manger to all of a sudden Jesus is 30 years old and he's getting baptized. Well, uh, on the one hand, uh, we don't have a lot more in between there. Uh, we, we call those those years the hidden life of Jesus. Not because he was hiding, uh, but just we, we don't know exactly what he was doing. The scriptures don't tell us. Uh, there's some writings that are not scripture that, that tell us some things that, you know, you can take or leave it, pious stories. Um, but for the most part, uh, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem when he's 12 with his parents at the Passover. He gets lost famously in the temple and he's found and after three days and they take him home. And then we don't, we don't know. Next thing we know, Jesus comes on the scene at his baptism. Uh, so we transition out of the the Christmas cycle by entering into the most important moment really for Jesus's public ministry it's beginning his baptism uh, this is when Jesus who before was Jesus of Nazareth the carpenter's son son of Joseph son of Mary nobody seemingly all that special or in particular um, at his baptism, this is where the, the three years, basically three years, we believe, of his public ministry begins. And um, it does so in an amazing fashion, miraculous fashion. Jesus comes up out of the water and the voice of the Father is heard. This is my beloved Son. And the Spirit is seen in the form of a dove. 
And of course, there's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So we've got all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, testifying uh, to Jesus, who he is. And uh, he begins his, his public ministry. And maybe spiritually for us, here's a, an important point. You know, we, we've got these, these beautiful cycle of, of Christmas where we, we, we read all about Jesus as a baby and his birth. And it, it's a wonderful kind of almost um, cuddly, happy feeling kind of time. Uh, nostalgia filled with kind of warm, fuzzy feelings. I mean, who, who wouldn't love a baby? And that's why Herod seems so cruel. How can a baby be a threat to Herod? Um, but then we, we can't stay in the, the comfortable happiness of, of Bethlehem. And we know the Holy Family doesn't stay in comfortable happiness of Bethlehem. Right after the Magi leave and Herod goes to kill all the children, Joseph is warmed in a dream that you got to take the child and flee to Egypt. So even Jesus as a baby doesn't get to stay, and neither do we. I mean, Christmas, as I mentioned, it's pretty quick. Uh, and then it's time to get to work. Um, you know, oh, come let us adore him, like the Magi did. We bow down, we worship at the manger. Um, you know, that's a cute little scene behind me. Everyone's kind of static and peaceful and resting. It just it doesn't stay that way in the Christian life. It, it's nice to, to think about that time and to relive it in our minds. But then as, as Christians, we got to get to work. The, the Magi leave. They go back and presumably they bring the message of the good news of the birth of Jesus to these non-Jewish people back in Persia. The Holy Family, they leave and Jesus goes to Egypt uh, to fulfill what was written in the scriptures. That just as the, the Jews ended up enslaved in Egypt and Moses had to lead them out, well, so Jesus himself will come out of Egypt. Um, there's no rest, really, permanently in this life, not even for Jesus. And I think that's a good message for us as, as Christians. If, if we're looking for a comfortable, easy life, if we just want to kind of stay at the manger at Bethlehem, it's just not how it works. Uh, you meet Jesus, and like like Peter on the mountain of the Transfiguration, Lord, let's make three tents. It's good that we're here. Let's stay. They don't get to stay on the Mount of the Transfiguration at Mount Tabor. You don't get to stay at Bethlehem. Not even Jesus got to stay at Bethlehem. And, and we don't get to stay in a comfortable, happy place very long as Christians in this life. Just when we think everything is nice, going well, you know, some virus shows up and upends our world or... You know, things are well in our family and then someone loses a job or someone gets sick or, you know, or something good. A new baby comes along and everything changes. Uh, things don't stay put in this life. And I, I got to say, that is that is both uh, uh, an excitement for me. I, I like a little bit of the changingness. And it's also consternation for me because I, I when things are good, I, I don't like to lose it. I don't, I don't want things to get bad. Sometimes I, I am of that. Let's just stay here. This is really good, God. So let's just, let's make three tents and stay. Um, if you find yourself doing that too much in the Christian life, you're, you're probably doing it wrong. Uh, because, you know, as, as Pope Benedict said, the, the world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Uh, so if you're stuck with comfort, even happy comfort and comfort of holy things, you're, you're probably doing it wrong uh, because Jesus didn't have any place to lay his head. He didn't get to stay in his own little manger. He didn't have a, a bed to lie in when he's born. He had a manger and he didn't even get to keep that. Uh, he had to flee to Egypt. So uh, if, if things are too comfortable in this life, there's a, there's a good chance that you're, you're doing it wrong uh, because, you know, it's tough to be Christian, and I, I probably don't need to say that uh, to anyone right now, because if you're really doing it, uh, it's hard. Okay, um, <clears throat> in today's uh, office, the divine office, the letter to the hours for the uh, the baptism of the Lord, there's an interesting kind of a, a, a homily that is is given. This homily is um, by St. Uh, Augustine, a uh, famous bishop from Hippo, northern Africa, from the 4th century. Uh, in early 5th century, 
um, Augustine is is writing about the the baptism of Jesus, and it's interesting because he makes a point that is a, a, a bedrock principle of our, our sacramental system. So we'll we'll end up talking here a little bit about baptism, and we'll call it quits since since you guys don't have any questions. Um, John, who is who's baptizing, he knows who Jesus is. Um, he points out, Augustine does, uh, that John says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So the point is that it is Jesus who, who baptizes in, in the church, not, not the priest. Um, it's Jesus who baptizes. So St. Augustine says here, if Peter baptizes, it is Christ who baptizes. If Paul baptizes... It is actually Christ who baptizes. If Judas baptizes, it is still Christ. For if the holiness of baptism is affected by the degree of merit, then since there are differences in merit, there will be different baptisms. And a person will be regarded as having received something better insofar as he seems to have received it from someone better. Note well, brothers, that there are diversities of grace even among the saints themselves, among the good men who belong to the dove and have as their goal the heavenly city Jerusalem, among those good men in the church, of whom the apostle says the Lord knows who are his. For not all have equal merits. Some are better, holier than others. To take an example, one is baptized by a just and holy man, while another is baptized by someone who in God's sight is of lesser merit, whose charity and whose whole life is of lower degree. Why is it then that both receive exactly the same baptism, if not because it is Christ who is actually baptizing them? Now we might think like that's maybe that's a nicety, isn't it? Nice to think that when I'm baptized, that it's really Jesus who's baptizing me. Well, uh, for those who follow liturgical nerdy stuff, um, sometimes it's not all nerd stuff, especially when it comes to the sacraments, because recently made big news. Uh, a priest thought he would change the formula of baptism. You know, it has to be, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. People have messed with the formula of baptism before. I baptize you in the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. Well, that's not valid. It doesn't do what Jesus said to do. Most recently, a priest changed the formula of baptism to say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, who's we? Well, what the priest was saying was like, the, the church, the, the community that is gathered, we all baptize you. It's not just the priest. It's everybody. We all baptize you. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what? All those baptisms were invalid. Not valid, because it's not we who baptize. It's very important that the priests say, I baptize you, because of precisely what Augustine said here in the 4th century, 5th century. It's Jesus who baptizes. The I in I baptize you is Jesus, not the person. If it were the person, then, you know, if Father Sean baptizes, better hope I'm in a state of grace and that I'm doing well because my baptism's not as good if I'm not as good a person. Or, you know, what about that scoundrel priest? Or what about, this happens, Father, I was baptized by this priest who left the priesthood. What does that say about me? Or the priest who married us left the priesthood. It doesn't depend upon the holiness of the minister. It's Jesus who baptizes. And and that's important because really with all the sacraments, the, the priest is... A, a symbolic gift offered to Jesus, as it were, so that Jesus can use the priest. I place myself, my voice, my hands, my whole body at the service of Jesus so he can use me to be an instrument to bring his grace to people. So in baptism, when I say, I baptize you, it's not Father Sean baptizes, it's Jesus in the person of the priest baptizing. That's why at Mass, in the Eucharist, the priest doesn't say, and Jesus said that this was his body. No, the priest says, this is my body. This is my blood. You see the very words of Jesus. When the priest says, I absolve you in the sacrament of penance, it's Jesus who absolves. That's how come we can't change the sacraments. Um, they're created by Jesus. 
They're administered by Jesus in the person of the priest. We don't have power and control over them. And so notice that Jesus himself, who is God, who is the author of baptism, humbles himself to go down and receive uh, the gift of this sign. And by doing so, he, he makes the waters holy and opens the sacrament of baptism to, to everyone else. Um, so this is where we say that Jesus institutes baptism. And then his last words on earth as he's ascending to heaven in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So notice then this sense of mission. Jesus, as he begins his public mission, his public ministry, does so with baptism. Notice as he's leaving earth, 40 days after his resurrection in the ascension, he tells his apostles, now go baptize. A lot of people think when Jesus left, what did, what did he leave us? Well, he left us the Bible. You know, we've got the scripture. That's what Jesus left us. Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, we had the Old Testament at that point. Uh, it was the same scriptures that Jesus and the apostles would have used as good Jews. Greek translation called the Septuagint. But there was no New Testament. So Jesus did not leave us the Bible. None of it had been written yet. What Jesus did leave us was his sacraments present in his church. He left his church so we could find him, and he left us the sacraments to be administered by the church so that his power would be made present in the world. So notice that baptism is at the center of the mission of the church, it's at the center of the mission of Jesus, and it is the center of the mission of every Christian. You want to know where your mission comes from? You want to know who you are? You know, you know we talk about the Magi bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, he's going to be a king. He's God, and he's going to suffer. Well, at your baptism, you receive the threefold anointing as priest, prophet, and king. You too are called to offer sacrifice as a priest. You as a king are called to rule over your domain, whether that's your, your family or whether it's to bring the world closer to the kingdom of God. And, and, and finally, um, you too are, are called to be a sacrifice your, yourself, to, to say to the world, here's what God says as a prophet to offer your life as a priest and to help the whole world come under the kingship of God. So your baptism is the most important day of your life. Just as it inaugurated Jesus's public ministry, your baptism is meant to inaugurate your public ministry, as it were, as a Christian, even as a little baby. That's when you get it. Now, it may take a while for it to become more, more activated as you, you get older, um, but that's where you get the Holy Spirit. That's where you get your mission. So as we end this Christmas season, then, uh, we put a bow on it, and it's it's really time for all of us to get on mission, then. We have come uh, in Christmas before Jesus, and so let's, let's kind of take leave of the manger. Let's leave our gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Um, symbolically, let's leave our very selves. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were the best things that the Magi had. In, in the, the short story by O. Henry, uh, the watch was the best thing the husband had. He got rid of it to get a present for his wife. Wife, best thing she had was her hair. She got rid of it to, to get a present for her husband. They left the best things they had behind for the greater good. What are you holding back maybe from Jesus? Anything you're refusing to give away? Secret is, like, like in the short story, the material possessions don't last. They don't mean anything. They're only symbolic. And so if symbolically you're holding on to material things, saying this is what's most important, your symbol is right on. Your symbol says Jesus is not first. Let's fix that. As we leave Christmas, leave at the manger what is best. Leave it all to Jesus. Because the truth is, as we read in the scriptures, what, what you try to keep, you lose. What you give away, you keep. The couple in the story gave away love, and that's what they kept, even though the material possessions they lost. What are you holding back from God? And is it yourself? Give yourself. Give it all away. Leave it at the manger. And then remember the call of your baptism. You are called to go out and make disciples for Jesus. I pray that as we enter into this season after Epiphany, we can all do that. Because I'll leave you with this. In the traditional calendar, 
It's not ordinary time now. It is the season after Epiphany. Isn't that a great way to look at it? It is the season after we encounter Jesus in the quiet peace of the manger. It's the season of mission. It's what we do after we leave the manger. The Magi go by a different route. I pray that as a result of encountering Jesus this Christmas, you will now go through this season after Epiphany by a different route. Lay your gift at the manger. Lay yourself at the manger. And now go and make disciples. God bless you. We'll see you next week.